Hello, and you are back in the Velvet Room with Joker the Fool. This is our 26th episode, and today we'll be discussing the need to see racism everywhere, the IRS is adjusting for inflation, and Marvel can't cast. So we're going to get right into the first topic, and that is racism, a very fun, light-hearted topic I know. Just kidding. So, again... Uh, I do consume some TikTok content. I'm not on TikTok. And one of these um, TikToks that I see that gets into my mind is this um, young woman who has a list of all the uh, negative pejoratives she calls uh, white people uh, alpha- organized alphabetically. So one, you know, multiple um uh, slurs, whatever you want to say for, for white people. My favorite one personally was um, Arctic Menace. So if y'all can refer to me as the Arctic Menace from now on, I would very much appreciate that. But this is really indicative of the messed up state of racial relations and the cultural economics of um, racism. What I mean is uh, that the demand for racism has far exceeded the supply. And this has been the case for a while now where you've seen people faking hate crimes and exaggerating these sorts of things and, and doing these sorts of things where basically everything is racist. Another TikTok I saw was this woman saying good morning is racist because if a slave died or they got separated, the masters would say good morning as in like like it's like a pun when if someone says good morning to you, it's just a greeting and they don't mean anything more than that. But if you're obsessed with race, if you're listening to race hustlers, you're buying into this propaganda hook, wine, and sinker, then of course you're going to, you know, be sitting and stewing around with this in your all day. You're like, good morning is racist. The Statue of Liberty is racist. Uh, this is racist. And if you're constantly thinking about this and that being racist and you're being held back by the evil white man or, or whatever it is, you're not going to be focusing on self-improvement. You're not going to be focusing on building a better life for you and yours. You're just going to say, hey, it's all whitey's fault. Uh, and I don't have to do anything um, more than that, then you point the finger and blame someone else. And people love doing that. That's a universal uh, thing for humanity, I, I would say, is that people love to blame someone else. People love to shift the blame onto anybody other than themselves because that feels good and provides this instant gratification. And that's the culture that we live in these days, folks. It's one of instant gratification and in seeing racism everywhere and blaming um, the fact that uh, the system is racist and you're being oppressed is a lot easier than being introspective and saying, well, if my life is shit, it's probably because of me and I need to take active steps to make it not shit, right? And the last, you know, thing I'll talk about with this on this topic is um, another thing where uh, this this was a, a mainstream thing that I saw, so I'm not sure exactly the truth of this, but the whole thing is that... I, apparently there was a study done. I don't. I don't have it on me, so I, I won't link it. I'm not sure how accurate this is, but this study says that um, kids who go to majority white colleges, minority kids, right, go to majority white colleges versus majority black colleges have higher rates of depression. I.e., um, if a minority college student is in a, a, a college environment where there is more white people, they're going to be. Uh, more mentally ill and if you're living in this culture where you're told well white people are the problem white people are bad and evil then of course you're going to be more uh, depressed if uh, you're in a uh, college environment where it's 
mostly white people or or majority white people i should say because you view these people as your enemy because you've been propagandized to view anyone who is in your exact skin tone as an enemy because we live in this race obsessed society where we have this extreme demand for everything to be racist for everything to be like the worst days of jim crow the evil most um atrocious atrocious days of the slave trade that has to be your reality uh and since it isn't you're constantly and desperately looking for things to justify it being that right and unfortunately we're in a bit of a better situation than that but of course we're heading in the wrong direction and it's because of the race hustlers and the, all this propaganda that well not forces but encourages and puts people in the mindset of seeing racism everywhere they look and that is the unfortunate thing but we're going to move on to the next topic and that is the irs now being an anarcho-capitalist a libertarian type i acknowledge and understand that the irs is the head of the theft department of the government taxation is theft by means of extortion and the internal revenue service is the free letter organization that manages the theft of um in the states of course i'm sure the tax collection offices vary, you know, for, you know, country to country, but whatever. Talking about the IRS, and the IRS recently, I think this week, announced that the tax brackets um, for income are being adjusted for inflation. So we live in a progressive tax system in the U.S. where your income is taxed progressively. So for the first um, $11,600 of your tax, of your money, is taxed at 10%, and then from 11600 to, I think, forty. Whatever is taxed at 12, and then it goes up to 20, and then 22, and then 37 is the highest tax bracket. So you can make a little bit more money, and it'll be taxed less. Now, it's about 5 and some percent change. Of course, true inflation is probably higher than that, but it is easing up a little bit on the theft of your income. But all the other um, sections of the tax code really aren't being adjusted for inflation, so this is how you're being fleeced now of course this is a system based on theft so taxation is being theft they're just optimizing the system where they notice the handlers notice that people are doing too badly right they, they want you broke and completely dependent on the system but not to the point where it creates um, a mass amount of civil unrest so they're easing up a little bit just enough to give people um, uh, maybe a couple ten um, 20 however much um, you know dollars at the end of the month to be just a little bit less um, broke just a little bit less dependent on the system so they can feel like their head's just slightly above water because you know there, there's a there's a balancing act that the handlers like to play with the average um, person and just how uh, destitute they need to be just how broke and dependent they need to be on the system because if you're too many people are like that then it creates this mass civil unrest the societal collapse and the the rich the people who are up at the top can't um ball out and be super rich all the time because you need to have a functional society in order to go on private jets and eat at the ritz and do all these things that rich people absolutely love to do you need a functional society in order to do those things so that that's why um, this is happening. So that is my perspective with the IRS adjusting the tax brackets for inflation. It's not to help the average American. It's just to optimize the theft to make the um, wage slaves not go into full-on riot revolt mode 
and so that way the rich people can keep cashing their checks at the bank tax-free, by the way, because they got all those tax loopholes and offshore banking accounts and business um, funnels to uh, funnel their tax monies through, like double dutch with an I Irish sandwich. You can look into it. It's very complicated, very complex, and of course, you can only do it if you're operating at these ridiculously high income brackets, but if you're you know, single mom in the inner city making less than fifty thousand dollars a year. Uh, you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to pay taxes. That, that's just how it is, and that's how it is by design. So, with that, we'll move on to the final topic, and this is a uh, comic book related topic or comic book movie related topic. So, Marvel has um, announced, I believe officially, this could most likely. Not be, but I saw this on Max. I've seen videos about this. Is that Pedro Pascal will be playing Reed Richards um, in Fantastic Four for the MCU? So, if you don't know who Reed Richards is, he's Mr. Fantastic. He's the lead um, of that team. He's like the Captain America of, uh, well, I don't know exactly how I say, but he's like, um, it's like what John Lennon is to the Beatles, right? He's the leader of. The Fantastic Four. So Reed Richards is the main um, person in the Fantastic Four. And Pedro Pascal will be playing him. And it's a very... I would say there is a divine. So there are some people who love Pascal as an actor. Are excited for him. But most people are either... They don't care or it's a negative thing. And for me, I don't care. I'm not the biggest fan of um, Fantastic Four. I watch some of the um, older movies um, in the 2000s. And I think... What was it? Was it? I'm not sure if it was Scarlett Johansson or... Cameron Diaz, whoever it was, whoever played Sue Storm, I, I was intrigued by that a, as a kid, right? Uh, but other than that, um, my experience, my knowledge of Fantastic Four and the comics, not really um, there. I'm not the biggest classic comic book guy. Uh, I got into, you know, stuff like Invincible and Comicsgate, not Marvel and DC. So my knowledge base of those characters is very... Uh, limited, but this whole thing is that you know people wanted John Krasinski, however, Jim from The Office, right? They wanted him to be in The Office. That was what the fans wanted. He was in Multiverse of Madness as Reed Richards. Of course, he got dealt the dirty hand, and that one, from what I've heard, so it wasn't really the uh, the bat. They didn't do, um, you know, his. Reed Richards, the justice, it should have been done, and, you know, establish him as starting to be um, the Reed Richards for the MCU. That didn't happen. They want to shove Pedro Pascal in there because he's a popular actor, he's in a lot of stuff, um, and he has this working relationship with Disney already, having been Mando in The Mandalorian, right? Which I watched the first half of uh, that, of season one of The Mandalorian, and I, I liked the way he acted for that now, of course, you know, it dropped the ball in that. But there's probably more of the writing. So he's a competent actor, knows what he's doing. But does he necessarily fit the role of being Reed Richards? I would say a lot of people don't think uh, don't think so. And, and this is the, the disappointing thing. These are beloved characters. These are characters that the fans are very passionate about. So Marvel really ought to be in a position where they're doing things correctly they should be on the ball with these casting decisions and doing all these sorts of things but it's very much an absolute mess it's an absolute disaster and it's just blunder after blunder this is why marvel's bombed at the box office this is why ant-man quantumania bombed at the box office this is why they're scrambling um to get um you know the mc rebooted with 
uh, Secret Wars most likely and why they scrapped Daredevil, why Blade got delayed so many times because they, it's a combination of them being completely incompetent, that they don't know what they're doing at this point, and two, if they do um, know what they're doing, quote-unquote, or whatever they are doing is in service of diversity, equity, and inclusion. You know, put a chicken in her, make her lame and gay, pan- panderverse, exactly, that's the mindset, so it's this extreme incompetence of they don't know what they're doing, and what little they do know what they're doing, that energy of whatever little competency that they have in terms of making films and having a schedule and whatever is being dedicated towards shoving in as many, um, you know, characters and plot plot lines and whatever that'll up the ESG score of Marvel and Disney. And that is more important than creating faithful adaptations of Marvel comics and doing stuff that the fans of the Marvel comic book um, canon and lore would actually like and that would get butts in seats because the fans would be all for it and that would trickle down to um, the normie fan base as well those who don't know anything about comics and those who um, engage with it time to time you know you're talking about people who go to the local comic store every once in a while not the ones who are there every Wednesday you know with a with a poll list a mile long right and so if you were faithful if they knew what they were doing with the MCU or if they just um, had an MCU that was faithful to the comics, faithful to these um, characters in the canon that has been established over little decades, then you could be churning out billion-dollar films like they basically were um, for the first, well, for the, you know, heyday of the MCU between, I would say, you know, the second and the third phases of that franchise. Uh that, that's where, you know, you were at peak MCU, and even then it had had its problems, but they were churning out movies that were making, you know, like, what, 650 to a billion dollars consistently, and they could keep doing that if they were making the right decisions, but I would say this casting decision, casting Pedro Pascal as uh, Reed Richards is indicative that they are making all the wrong decisions um, with Marvel Studios, and with that, I am going to sign off, and... We will go into the outro now. Thank you for being in the Velvet Room with Joker the Fool. Be sure to follow my substack, velvetroompublishing.substack.com to read Machine to Man and all my other projects.